0: This is Ibarian Annex, and this is The Candid Frame. Join the fast-growing community of TCF listeners who are sharing their best photographic work on The Candid Frame Flickr Group. Not only is it a great place to see and enjoy photographs, but each week I pull from these submissions to produce a weekly video on my YouTube channel. To join, all you need to do is sign up on Flickr and ask to join the group. It's a great place to discover others who share your passion for photography. A few months ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Cheryl Dunn, the director of Everybody Street. A wonderful documentary about New York street photography. If you haven't seen it yet, it should be on your short list of films to watch before the end of the year. Today's guest was one of the photographers profiled in the film. Jamel Shabazz has been documenting his community in Brooklyn and elsewhere since the 70s, and he's produced the quintessential document of life in New York City, as well as the birth and growth of hip-hop culture. He has published several books, including his first, the iconic Back in the Day. As you'll hear, he is a passionate photographer, and his images are far more than just about music and fashion. Introduced to photography by his father, we started our conversation talking about those early influences, and one photo book in particular that changed his life.
1: Yes, first of all, I was very fortunate to have a, photog- a, a father who was a photographer. He had spent eight years in the Navy, and at the age of 17, he picked up the camera while in there, and uh, and uh, the Navy trained him, actually. So uh, he was professional, and he took craft very serious. So um, we had a vast library uh, of photography books, and I was just taken behind that. So that's really where my, my interest uh, came in, because unbeknownst to my father, I used to go through all of his photography books and just see the power of the of the image. But uh, it was one book in particular that sat on our coffee table called Black and White America by Leonard Freed that really captivated me. I was about nine years old at that time, and I was unaware of what was going on outside my community in terms of race. And in this one book with a standard black and white cover, you know, it just blew me away, the title itself. But when I opened it up and I started to see images of people that look like me, I was taken behind that. And um, not only did I look at these incredible black and white photographs that told stories, but I actually read the entire book. And that book opened me up to a whole another world, both uh, uh, th- through words and through images. And at that point, I just started to become drawn to, to photographs like never before. I didn't start picking up a camera until I was 15. And um, that was an interesting journey because subconsciously, for many years, I was just studying photography books, not quite wanting to be a photographer, but just seeing the power of images. My father also had a subscription to Playboy magazine. And uh, while a lot of my peers were reading comic books, I was reading Playboy magazine. I actually say read because it's (laughs) through that publication. I learned about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, Norman Rockwell, uh, and different issues that were going on in this country. And then subconsciously, I was looking at the photographs where I learned light and composition, so a lot of seeds were being planted really early on in my life. And then uh some years later at the age of 15, you know, I I was invited to the home of a of a of a gang member actually, you know, by a good friend of mine. It was his cousin. And I remember looking at the photo albums that he had, you know, these these really well-organized albums with these great photographs of his game. And it was then that I started to see a relationship between uh you know, uh, people within my community because the gang was a local gang and I, it just really resonated with, resonated with me and I said, I want to be a photographer and shoot pictures just like this here. And in those gang photographs, you had these guys that were well-dressed, you know, very dapper, they were smooth, they were, they were erect, and I was just mesmerized behind that particular type of photography. So at that moment, I said to myself, I want to be a photographer. I rushed home, snatched up my mother's uh, Kodak Instamatic 126 camera, and that actually started my journey to want to just document you know my community
0: the your images have always been uh, has, has struck me as in retrospect as kind of like a personal photo album like you just said uh, i look at those pictures and even though i didn't grow up in brooklyn i grew up here in south los angeles i get the feeling like oh i know those guys and and that's something that's really unique for for a photographer who's documented Uh, a community like you have Uh, and I think part of it is the fact that you that's where you came up in so tell me about you know the the desire to to photograph your own community in that particular way that it that seems like it was really rooted in in a personal relationship not just with the people but with with the community that you were growing up in
1: and that's a good question. And, and the images are really it is about a personal journey. It, it's a visual diary of my life starting at the age of 15. And uh, when I first picked up the camera, I went to my uh, junior high school and I started photographing my peers first. You know, they made really easy subjects. It gave me a sense of purpose and it was very intimate for me. You know, it it, it, it gave me a voice that I didn't have before. And I built up a pretty good body of work from 1975, excuse me, 1970 Yes, 5 in 1977. And then I went in the army. And uh, that's when it really became special to me because a lot of all, the, all of the photographs that I made prior to going to service, I, I had these nice structured albums. But when I, was, when I went to Germany, that's when those photographs became really special to me because now I'm away from home and I have these pieces of my life that was just so valuable to me. And I found myself being homesick periodically. I'm going to look at these images for inspiration. And I promised myself in Germany that when I returned back, I would never be without memories again. So I purchased a Canon AE-1 uh, camera in Germany. And when I returned on the summer of 1980, I was on a mission to just photograph life around me. I never wanted to be without memories. And it became this personal journey to record, you know, my life and my community and people who people uh, who pretty much touched me. So I went back to my, my neighborhood, went to the local high school. And just started photographing people, and also using the camera as a form of communication because it allowed me not only to photograph people, but just as important, engage them in conversation about what was going on in the street. What have I missed? So it led to both captioning images and just recording, uh, uh, learning a great history. You know, during the, the three years in which I was going,
0: it seems like it was you. You, you were so driven by it seems your own curiosity about people. It. As much as it was about photographs, it seems like you were trying to satisfy some other real deep need in you. Is, do you think that's that's on point?
1: Oh, no doubt about it. Because what's very important to note is that when I was in Germany, I was getting word that a lot of people were dying in the street, a lot of young people which I photographed, a lot of the majority of my friends at that time they had lost their younger brothers to violence. So when I came home uh, in the summer. Of, of eighty, it's almost like the you know what best could, what could best describe it really is Marvin Gaye's song "What's Happening, Brother." I came back with that feeling, you know. That song uh, stayed in my mind. You know, I wanted to know what was going on out here. So the camera allowed me to like it's sort of like a master key that got me into the doorways of a lot of people, and I wanted to just know what was going on. One, and then I came home conscious too. So I wanted to use my camera as as a tool. To try to talk to young people about the senseless violence that was going on in our community, and that was really important to me. You know, the photograph was secondary. What was a uh, 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 prime was to know why is this going on? Why did this person die? You know, how can we move forward? And then when I would. Aim my, my lens on my subjects, I would tell them how great they were, you know, how I saw a unique beauty with inside them. And, uh, and that became my mission. And that's what it was really about, you know, uh, trying to, to uh, uh, ease some of the violence that was going on in the community. Because here I am in the army where no one is, is, is dying from violence. And then I returned back to the States and all of these young people were dying. And what was so tragic about it, oftentimes I knew the killers and the victims. So I wanted to use my voice to try to eradicate the violence in the community and inspire love amongst my people through images. You know, and oftentimes no one was taking photographs. So here I am with a camera, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm approaching a lot of people I both knew and a lot of people I didn't know just trying to engage me in conversation about the importance of life and how we have to prepare for the future. So that was my, my, really my overall mission, to, to plant seeds of positivity within the minds of my subjects. And photography made it easy because now I can get groups of young people I could talk to all of them about what was going on as they posing for my camera. And I'm dropping seeds and I'm capturing the photographs at the same time. And I I developed friendships with them. And those friendships really allowed me to uh, uh, serve as a a mediator in a lot of the the conflict that was going on within the neighborhood.
0: How important was that time outside of the States when you were serving in the military in Germany in terms of creating a a different perspective in terms of who you were as an african-american man and the community from which you came
1: it was very important to me because i was a man child i had just turned 17 years old uh my mother and father had divorced so i was i was in a very difficult journey in my life at that point i was really unsure what it is i wanted to do the military despite the fact that the war in vietnam had just ended a, uh, a couple years earlier it, it wasn't a good time but i needed to escape and going in allowed me to get away from a lot of the negativity And and just start my own personal journey. So while in Germany, it exposed me to a larger world. It allowed me to see, first of all, I I was a history buff. So I knew about World War I and World War II, you know, and the the conflicts that took place in Europe uh, during that day and time. So I was very uh, uh, intrigued with being in Germany and just being in that atmosphere and learning more about the history and the culture. And secondly, it provided me with an opportunity to meet people from all over the states, you know, it was the first time I got away from home, and I met so many wonderful people. You know, it also allowed me an opportunity to see hatred firsthand, because while in the military, you had a rise in the Ku Klux Klan. So I encountered the face of that. So what I read in, in Black and White America by Leonard Freed, I started to experience firsthand. And uh, one of the main things I gained from being in the military was I spent a lot of time in the library during days off. And it was it was in being spending time in the library where I learned about, uh, the black arts movement and that was very critical to me because prior to that I really didn't know about it. And I started to understand the power of, of both photography, literature, poetry, and theater. And I promised myself again that when I returned back to the States, I will get myself involved in that. So I came into a deep consciousness. And another thing that was very instrumental in my growth and development in Germany was the music. You know, unlike today where we have computers, what we had back then was our stereo equipment. That meant the world to us. So I really got deep into music and conscious music and jazz at the same time. That really kind of like fed my spirit and it, it started to, to feed my soul and, and help, it, it helped me become a better person. So after spending three years in, in the service and returning back to the States, I was a more matured person. Not only mature, but I also had a greater fo- f- uh, focus in life and, uh, and I had a clear purpose.
0: You were in the 80s. You already mentioned, you know, the impact of the the, the crack epi- epidemic during that time, but it also was uh, an incredible time in terms of music, in terms of the the rise and the growth of the of hip hop music and and culture. Yes, uh, you know, associated not just with the music, but with the style, with the way people were communicating with each other. Uh, it was it was an amazing uh, amazing time. Tell me about your awareness then, in terms of what was happening, or yeah, tell me about what. Because now, in retrospect, we can take a look at it and we can see it for what it is. But at the time, uh, what were you seeing? What were you experiencing as you were photographing these these these, these people?
1: Man, I, I saw beauty and greatness. I mean, it was just totally unbelievable. Again, being in Germany for three years, it was like being in a time warp. It's like life stopped for me. So when I came home, I'm looking at all this new fashion and all this 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 energy, and I was just blown away behind it. And I just wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to capture it in every aspect. And the good thing about coming home from the service, I had like a year off to just relax. So that time allowed me to to go into the streets and just explore and see it firsthand. So I would travel to different boroughs and just analyze the culture and document it. And one of the places that was like the, the center for it all was Times Square 42nd Street. I remember going on Fridays and Saturday nights and the scene, that was like our Hollywood. And people from all over the tri-state area would come down to 42nd Street back in the days and kind of like just just flash. And that gave me an opportunity to both see it and document it. So it was a really good time. Despite what a lot of the critics might say about the crime rate and all that, I didn't see that. I just saw an energy and beauty that was phenomenal. I was introduced to a new music. Even though hip-hop was out in in, in 75, uh, it was still... It was it was this new emerging music that was speak, speaking to my soul and addressing a lot of the issues that were going on at that time. And one of the songs that reminded me reminds me so much of my photography, it could be like a, a soundtrack to a lot of my work, is The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Fears four, four, Five. And that song really resonated with what I was feeling. You know, white lines. It's like, this is what was going on. So I was hearing the music and seeing it unfold in front of my eyes. And I was just taken behind it. And I just wanted to just document this unique culture. And a lot of the subjects that I started photographing first were actually uh, a lot of the, the young, uh, young brothers in my community. So they were all open to it. And this just gave me an opp- a gateway to that world.
0: How did you, being uh, sort of a constant presence out there with your camera and the fact that you knew these people, provide you an opportunity that wasn't available to photographers that were outside of the community because your your images are very distinctive. But I think that uh, I'm really curious to hear about what do you think you were able to capture that someone from outside of the community would not be ever be able to do?
1: Well, it was really the intimacy, the fact that I was from the community and I knew a lot of these young men and I had a sincere love for them. I think that that really allowed me the, the key to get into their world and really my world, too, because it was one and the same. I was from the community. These are young men and women that I would take to the store, you know, and I would get orange juice and I would vibe with them. And I would bring a lot of them into my home and introduce them to music and, and chess and even photography. So it was beyond the photograph for me. I had a sincere love for those that I photographed. And I wanted the very best for them. And uh and that's and that was we had a saying back in the days, I want for my brothers, I want for myself. I really believe that inside. I want the very best for these young people. Because I look back at my life and and some of the missteps in which I made, I didn't want them to make those same uh, uh errors. So when I engaged them in conversation, they felt my sincerity. And it resonates through my images. And that's one that's one of the reasons why. In my earlier work, there's a lot of posed images because I wanted to talk to my subjects. You know it wasn't about taking a picture on the download. no I approached you. I engaged, I shook your hand. I explained my purpose to you. I always kept a portfolio with me where I was able to show uh, a lot of the photographs that I've taken previously, and in addition, I made it a point to give practically everyone I photographed a copy of their photo of them themselves so it was a a bond that I had with everybody. I sat down and I talked with them. And again, I had a sincere love for not only their, their, their present situation, but I was concerned with the future of everyone in which I photographed. And I was learning at the same time because I looked at myself as a student in life. And despite me being older than a lot of the people in which I photographed, I was still learning so much from them. Yeah. So it was an equal exchange. And that pretty much allowed me to get the, the type of photographs in which I had Because a lot of those guys wouldn't let you take the picture. If they didn't know you, you wasn't going to get a photograph. They might take your camera. <laughs> so the fact that I was from the community, they trusted me, you know, it kind of like it just opened up. And then sounds start to travel. For those that didn't know me, the word was spread. that Yo, Jamel's a good photographer. If, you know, if you think you're official, have him have him take your photograph. So the word spread. And a lot of people start to approach me wanting to have their picture taken
0: yeah 'cause you started being used by all these up and coming uh rap performers and you know r- photographing uh for their album covers and and for the promotional material. Tell me about that phase of your 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 career
1: It really didn't happen. I wasn't, you know, I didn't get involved in any commercial photography, any jobs until like the late 1990s. But from the early 80s, it was all self-assignments. You know, I I was never uh, uh, published or anything. It was just a personal visual diary. And I created a series of assignments that I would go on, you know, go out and just shoot on my own accord as as again, as a form of my visual diary and an investment later on as as, as time would pass. So uh, I, I never got any jobs. It was all about me. Some of the people which I photographed, they would go on to be uh, 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 artists, renowned uh, uh, people within the industry. But when I was photographing, they were just young kids in the community. So, so I never really got that opportunity. Even to this very day, you know, I'm not really involved in the community in, in terms of uh, working with artists. It's still all about me just documenting world history and culture, really for the history books. That's that's where my passion lies at right now. So I don't get, I don't really do commercial work.
0: Okay. So you've been balancing like a normal nine to five then, you know. For for the the bulk of your photographic career and and making time to go out and shoot is that right?
1: Well, I, yes yes and no. I mean, let's go back to the word normal. I didn't I didn't work a normal nine to five. I worked in a prison or I'll say a jail, one of the largest jails in America. Actually, I worked on Rikers Island from 1983 until 2003. So it was it was mm. a it was a steady job, often 18 hours a day. But that's what I did. And that's really fueled my passion to, to get involved in photography because I was in a, in, a, in a jail setting and I was seeing the impact of crack and violence and injustice every day. So I felt the need to go out in the, shoot, in the street and just document beauty. And use my, my my camera as a as a trumpet to kind of like sound the alarm of what was going on. So you know that's pretty much my journey right there. Spending 20 years in that atmosphere really uh, fueled my determination. So
0: how did that time working in the prison, when you like you said, where you started to became becoming aware of not only the impact of of drugs but also you know the the. Um, uh, in uh, inequitable enforcement of uh, drug le- legislation on African American and people of color, as you started seeing the impact of all of that, how did that start changing what you were doing on the street with with the camera? Did it sh- shift your focus in any way? Did it did it really sort of spur you to be that much more aggressive in terms of what you were doing? How how did it impact you?
1: Yes, I, I would say so. Working in a jail was a very negative atmosphere. I mean, you seeing so many of your people incarcerated, broken down, many who needed rehabilitation versus uh, incarceration. So I was pain behind that, you know, to just see so many lives uh, uh, in that situation. So when I would return, first of all, it's such a complicated situation uh, in working in the jail, I would. Bring my photographs in. I would show a lot of the the, the inmates photographs of hope and promise and f- of families. So I would use it as a form of visual medicine inside the jail. Then I would take the experience of being inside the jail into the street. And as I would engage young brothers and sisters, I would let them know. Look, I work as a correction officer on Rikers Island. I'm just leaving that job right now. That place is not right. That we we have to avoid the pitfalls that can get us there. So I use my voice. You know, even my, my voice became even louder because a lot of young people were falling victim to a crack. You know, we were misled in by by the movie Scarface that made it seem like it was this fair seeming life. And a lot of good people I had photographed had gravitated towards that lifestyle, and I was seeing a lot of them in jail. And that really hurt me. So when I would leave the job, I would Put myself in in in, in 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 communities where I was able to reach the maximum the maximum amount of people, mainly downtown Brooklyn, which is like the hub for uh, a lot of people in in Brooklyn who were. It was like a major shopping area, so I would be down there on my days off, and even you know when I would get off from work, just trying to talk to young people about what was going on. Then I shifted my lens to get into more politically conscious type of images, and I would go to a lot of the anti uh, uh, drug law. Uh, marches, the anti, uh, the police brutality marches. And I would use my lens now to document images that helped to tell the story about injustice. So I beca- became really a serious documentary photographer trying to just capture the hardships of life and protest. I uh, started to focus my lens on a lot of homelessness and prostitution to help people understand that we were headed towards very difficult times. So unlike the porches I shot, I still did that. And uh, created work for my visual diary, but I wanted to have images that were thought provoking and were addressing the problems that we were being faced with as a people. And I wanted my subjects in the street to look at the, my portfolios and see these images in hopes that it would make them think and, and, and avert those traps that were out there. So I was really adamant about making a difference. And I knew that the, my camera was, was, again, my trumpet to reach a lot of young people. And every opportunity I got, I tried to place myself in the situations where there were a lot of young people at risk, and I would just stop them and talk to them about that. And, and I never... Uh, uh, was reluctant to tell him that I was a correction officer because that made me more legit to say, wow, this dude is a correction officer. He's just coming from Rikers Island and he has a concern for us. So it really uh, created an opportunity for me to save a lot of lives.
0: Did you end up developing long term relationships with uh, some of these people?
1: Oh, no doubt about that. Uh, so many, brother. I mean, a lot both inside and outside. I met a lot of good young men who fell victim. And I met other young men that, that were innocent, you know, and they needed me and I needed them. So it became a part of my journey to meet these young men and guide them throughout the incarceration. because I could have easily been one of them. You know, so when I saw them, I saw myself because I worked in an in a, uh, institution that housed young men 16 to 21 years old. So a lot of these guys, they were the same age I was when I was lost. So I felt the need to kind of like mentor a lot of them because within the jail system back then, a lot of the, uh, the politicians had this idea of being hard on criminals and just take everything away from them. But in seeing that, you know, what's, what happens when that person comes back home? So my objective was to try to inspire a lot of them while they were incarcerated. I would share extra photographs with them to give them a sense of hope, of families and fatherhood. And again, the the work served as a form of visual medicine that helped them. And I have letters that a lot of the guys wrote me when they went upstate. And and I would send them photographs again to encourage them. And it saved them. Just recently, I found out the impact that my photographs would have on a lot of men incarcerated. Because a lot of times they weren't getting visits. And it's through my photographs that gave them a sense of hope. And that's another reason why I published my books, because it really wasn't made for the the mainstream people. It was made for people who were incarcerated to serve as a form of medicine to help them while they were there and kind of like ease some of the frustration being locked down. So the images gave them a a sense of hope and possibility when they returned back to society.
0: Is there one particular relationship that stands out for you that you have, have had over the years?
1: Wow, there's, there's, there's so many, I mean, one of the deepest to me that really hurt me and it, it's hard to digest right now is that, um, uh, when I was working inside the jail, I came upon this, this beautiful young man and he had a really good heart and I took him under the wing and started to guide him. You know, one of the things I try to do is, you know, feed guys with knowledge. I'll give them books to read, man, child in the promised land to try to give them a, 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 a guide to survive incarceration. But One day in particular, I remember showing him my photographs of of people from the street because he was young. He can identify that culture. And then I found out that he was responsible for killing a good friend of mine's, And it blew me away because this is a guy that I I had a great love and respect for. And here I am. I befriended this young kid, 17 years old. You know, he had a good heart. And I would come to find out that he was responsible for murdering a good friend of mine over something, you know, over nonsense at a club. And mm. that really did something to me.
0: Wow, I can't imagine. It must. That, did, how did the relationship change, or did it?
1: I I eventually got transferred. You know, I had to move on, and uh, sadly, his life was taken when he went upstate. Uh-huh. So it's a very bad story because nobody won. You know, uh, even a friend of mine's who was actually in the photograph with the subject that got murdered, he voluntarily put himself in jail to go get this guy. That's how deep this thing was. And he imagine a person who puts himself in jail to actually come after a person who took the life of a good friend. And uh, I will find out a few years later, again, that he lost his life upstate due to that, that murder that he committed. So it was a very sad situation that again, it fueled me to try to reach these young men because it was too much of that going on. Uh, and as I shared my portfolios and my books You know, oftentimes uh, the perpetrator of a crime will see a person that he might have victimized. And when I saw that reaction, I heard the story behind it. I had to talk to these guys and say, we have to stop this right here. This is just, it's it's not right. Because a lot of times people look at my work and they see the poses, the clothes, and they admire all that. But they don't know the backstories. They don't know the fact that a lot of these young men had died and they died prematurely and oftentimes due to violence and sadly at the hands of other young men that I photograph. So that's the stories that nobody knows. And that's why, you know, I'm so c- compassionate about taking these type of photographs to talk to young people and use my voice in any way I can to try to ease some of the senses of violence that's been taking place throughout really the whole of my life.
0: So when when you started putting out your know, your books and they started to have a, a greater awareness of of the work that you'd done, there was a focus more on hip hop style about the, the the culture. So from I'm getting that you saw that as as an opportunity that provided you a voice to be able to speak about the deeper issues that you were you had been witnessing. Uh, in your own life, with with yes. your camera, is that is that is that correct?
1: And and that is correct. It, it, I I have to think, hip hop because hip hop gave me the foundation. You know, because m- most people, both here and abroad, when they look at my images, that's all they see. And at first, it pained me because it was so much more to that. Because when I look at my images, I see jazz, I see bebop, I see blues, I see reggae, I see salsa. People just looked at it in just one one frame. And I knew it was so much more, but I embraced that because that gave me the platform to use my voice in a larger sense. You know, I, I uh, started to get a lot of jobs and I used that to fund photography programs and, and uh, conduct workshops where I was able to teach photography. So it, it, it has been a great foundation for me, but it's so much more that people don't understand. And as I learned to better understand my mission, I learned to articulate that better because in the beginning, I didn't quite know how to express that. You know, it it became very difficult for me because, you know, again, being in Germany, I embraced a lot of music. So within my photographs, it was just so much. People don't see the reggae element in my music. When I lived uh, in in the Flatbush community, it's a large Caribbean community. So when I look at my images from East Flatbush back in the 1980s and 70s, I hear reggae music. When I would go to uh, Spanish Harlem, I hear salsa. You know, uh, when I would go downtown Brooklyn, it's hip hop. And then it's R&B, too. But I can't forget Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye, and, uh, and and so many other politically conscious artists that used their voice to educate people. The last poet and Gil Scott Heron. So it's so much more than people can even imagine. Even the fact that I was a correctional officer, they don't understand it. The fact that I came home from the army with a determination to... Uh, 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 Save a community that I saw that was dying. So it's so much more that people are now beginning to understand because I've done so many interviews now that I, I lay this down. It's like, wow, we didn't see it that way. Because a lot of times people see me and they want to show me the dope poses and all that. But even in the majority of poses in my book, it's not really about posing. Those brothers are standing a particular way and it's a stance representing they belong to a particular organization. So it's not a B-boy pose. It's something, what, it's something far deeper than what people could ever imagine. So when I start to explain that in my presentations, it's like, wow, we never knew that before.
0: When you became a, a father, how did that change what you were doing out in the street with the camera?
1: Oh, when I became a father, it 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 helped me understand so much. It 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 allowed me to understand the fact that a lot of the problems that we have in the street in terms of violence, uh, 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 incarceration is rooted in the fact that a lot of fathers are not there. You know, so me being a father, it humbled me. It strengthened my sense of purpose. It helped me better understand my voice because now it's not about me. It's about making a better world for my daughter and her generation. And I work with great determination to uh, become a, a father. And now after being retired for, for 12 years, I am a full-time father. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to really understand that because I had a good example in front of me. I had a father. My father was there. Even though my mother and father divorced, I still had a father that gave me a foundation that helped me to be the man I am today. So I understand what it is for young people not to have fathers. So I try to be a mentor to a lot of young men too. And that's what I've been doing really since I was 15 years old. When I picked, the same time I picked up the camera, I picked up the, the, the torchlight to be a mentor to young people. So I take it very serious. I try to encourage it. I try to set an example in the things which I'm doing to be a good to, 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 uh, to show brothers how it's done. So it, it has refueled my spirit because I can't surrender. I can't give up right now. because There's moments in which I feel like just giving up because, you know, there's a great sense of hopelessness that I see in a lot of my travels. But when I look at my daughter and the fact that she's just 23 years old, I realize I have a great fight in me and now i'm using my voice to impact her generation her experience at college became my experience i went up to the university with her i documented her peers i used my voice to help guide them so my my daughter's life has really given me greater purpose
0: how important were the books in you being able to reach an audience that, uh, that was beyond what you could you could do with having your you know your work in your bag and sharing it with the people you were documenting it expanded uh, the the audience for your work. So, how important was that in terms of being able to touch people's lives far beyond what you may have expected or, or, or planned for
1: initially? It, it was amazing to me. I, I'm very grateful for Powerhouse for believe Powerhouse Books for believing in my vision because. Uh, With Back in the Days, my first book, I thought it would just be a a local book, something that really resonated well in New York City. I had no idea that that book will will, will branch out to to the four corners of the universe and touch so many people in different countries. It just utterly blew me away. And it helped me to understand that photography like music is a universal language. And it it just really opened up a window for me in ways I never imagined. And having had an opportunity to travel to different countries, I saw the impact of, especially in Korea, South Korea, a few years ago when they have a contest, a B-boy contest called R16. I met so many B-boys from around the world that had back in the days. And and it's it's through that book that allowed them to have a better understanding to what they would call B-boy culture in terms of urban street fashion and swagger. So, it, it was it was a blessing for me because it allowed me to travel now to different countries and explain what my work is really about. They had their interpretation. But in going to France, I was able to break down uh, the crack epidemic. I was able to talk about, uh, uh, you know, the, the positivity of growing up in Brooklyn, how life was back then. So it gave me an opportunity not only to share my photographs, but also the, the true uh, history of the culture of the 70s and 1980s to, to different people around the world. And that made me feel good. And it really resonated with them because it's, it created a greater interest because prior to that, they never really seen uh, photographs of black and brown people before in that manner. So I gave them another outlet, uh, outlook on, on, on the uh, history of, of, of urban culture.
0: So tell me more about the documentary work that, that you've been doing as of late. Uh, what, what's been your focus with that work as compared to the, the other work that people are probably more familiar uh, with?
1: Well, the documentary work is really close to my heart. And um, my father taught me themes early on. So well, one of the first documentary projects I worked on, really was two when I first came home from the Army, was Prostitution and Homelessness and Poverty. And uh, I spent 10 years documenting really both of them. And the prostitution really blew me away because uh, I was just curious on how women can go out there and sell their bodies. So when I, first, when I first came home, whatever reason, I would just go out to different areas that were saturated with prostitution, and I would start to approach prostitutes and engage them in conversation about their lifestyle, and I developed great friendships with them. And I just looked at it as a visual diary. But as I revisited those images, I said, wow, this is documentary photography. I have a lot of unposed photographs and I have compelling stories that people really don't know about. So I felt good because this gave me an opportunity to to, to shed light on a world that people didn't know. And then I was taken by homelessness. It's like. We live in the richest country in the world, but yet you have people sleep on the trains. You have people eating out of garbage cans. And I was taken behind that. So uh, a lot of my earlier work, I trained my lens on trying to capture that. So in between photographing youth culture during the nighttime, I would go out and photograph hot prostitution homelessness. And, and today, uh, a project that is very close to my heart is Vietnam veterans. Uh, being I grew up during the Vietnam War, I remember seeing those images vividly on television every night. Uh, my father had a, a, a large collection of, of, of photography books on war photography. So I became really taken behind Vietnam. So uh, in the early 1980s, I made it a point to document them as well. So every time I saw Vietnam veterans in the street, they might have had their hats on or at parades. I would document them. For so, so for over 30 years, I've been photographing Vietnam veterans. Uh, next year, God willing, I'm going to go to Vietnam for the 40th anniversary of the ending of that war. It is my objective to photograph the other side, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong, the Ford Americans. That would be one of the most important uh, photography projects of my life. So hopefully I will have that opportunity to do that. So the document—the documentary side is very important right now because I want to tell stories. Another important body of work of mine is uh, uh, the protest, the anti-war protest that took place after 9-11. I made it a point to really uh, photograph those events. Again, like seeing the war in Vietnam, I saw the war at home and I saw the protests that took place in the 1960s. So with this new opportunity to lend my voice, to capture that history, I started making trips out to Washington and throughout New York City, doc- documenting the protests. So that body of work is close to my heart because it gives me an opportunity to use my, 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 my craft to, to, for a larger conversation that addresses issues at hand.
0: When you started focusing on the prostitutes and the homeless, uh, homeless community and, and the and the veterans, what what surprised you? What did you discover that you you otherwise would never have
1: known? The humanity that they all possess, the beauty that every one of them had with inside themselves. Oftentimes we we'll see a prostitute or a homeless person and we'll frown and walk away. But for me, I got the backstory. You know, I got names. You know, I was able to understand what led to this particular path. And I fell in love with all of these people. I fell in love with the young prostitutes. And I saw hope and promise. I used my voice to get them off the street. And I realized they were they were they were good people that just uh, uh, somehow made a wrong turn in their lives. And they needed people to understand it, to be empathetic. So I saw I saw angels amongst them, too. You know, So many people I photographed throughout my life, it was something very special about them, and I felt it was meant for, the, for me to meet them on the path to life, and they offered me great lessons. One of the great lessons that came to me came from a homeless woman, and she simply said to me, what goes up must come down. And that was said to me over 35 years ago, and I never forgot that. So it humbled me, to, to and it allowed me to see that you may be sitting on top of the world today, but at any given moment, you could lose all that. So I learned... I saw compassion in all of them. I saw a, a, a great, a, a great degree of pain and misunderstanding.
0: Well, you were profiled in uh, the documentary Everybody's Street, which was a documentary film on on street photographers, and you know you were there alongside with some legendary photographers like Joel Meyerwitz, Bruce Davidson. You know, when you realized that your work was you know being seen in, in the, among the ranks of so many people uh, whose work has just influenced so many thousands and thousands of
1: photographers.
0: W- was that a surreal experience for you? Is it? Is it still?
1: It really is. And it, it's been a challenge for me, too, because... I didn't get into this to be a part of that particular circle. You know, This my work is all a part of a visual diary. So in being placed in that position, it was like a whole new world for me. I wasn't prepared for the interviews and none of that because it's it's something I never prepared for. So it was a a process I had to get used to. I had to really, and I'm still learning about it now. I'm learning how to speak about my work. But I was honored at the same time. The fact that uh, Cheryl Dunn saw the the, the power and, and the relevance of my work you know, it made me feel good. And I felt the, a, a duty, you know, to Gordon Parks, James Van Zee, and Roy D. Carava to continue the torchlight of those that, gra- that laid the groundwork for me to be a part of that conversation. So I was honored behind that. And, and I'm working hard to really uh, 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 live up to, to being known as a street photographer. It's a lot of work that comes with that because I've never really seen myself as being that. I'm, I'm just really a visionary. But now with that film, it's put a lot more weight on me. And I have to use my voice to the best of my ability to really show and prove that I'm worthy of, 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 of being within that, that that circle.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that you're, you're retired now from your work in there as a correctional officer. So th- tell people uh, uh, about what your, your shooting t- days are. Are you shooting every day? Are you shooting a couple of days a week? How, how does that fit into your lifestyle now?
1: Well, what I'm doing now, brother, I'm uh, really archiving because during the past uh, over 30 years, I've been just doing a lot of shooting. So now b- being retired and now being in place in a position where I could just be home, I have time now to go through the thousands upon thousands of negatives that I have and just organize my work right now. And that feels good. That's something I've never quite done before because I was just always out there. Because my, in, in a sense, I carried a camera every single day for over 30 years. So I was constantly creating images. But now you kind of like need that time and, and you often say, uh, in your presentations to slow down. Mm-hmm. I finally come to a point in my life where I'm slowing down and I'm examining what, I'm, what, I'm ca- what, what I've captured and, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just putting it, you know, in, in a proper place right now. I'm writing about it, you know, to better understand exactly what I did. I'm explaining it to my wife and daughter so they could better understand my journey. So I'm not shooting as much as I did years ago. But every time I step out, I build up a body of work. I'm just determined. If I just go, go to the corner store, I'm going to build a body of work up. Workouts, should I say. But uh, right now, it's more about organizing the work into different themes in hopes that I'll have an opportunity later on to do another book.
0: So going through the archive, going through that old work, I'm sure that uh, you're surprised sometimes by what you you captured. T- tell me about those surprises.
1: Uh, There's so many surprises because uh, during the early days, um, I wasn't getting a lot of prints done. I would just develop my own negative. So I, I love looking at negatives and I'm looking at stuff that I, I, I haven't seen in like over 30 years. Because a lot of times back in the old days, I would give a subject, uh, a, a, I'll make a copy from this one copy and not make a copy for myself. So I'm looking at photographs I might have passed on 30 years ago and I'm seeing it the first time after three decades and I'm totally blown away. with like, wow, I forgot all about this photograph right here. I'm looking at my contact sheets and looking at just diamonds that, uh, that mean so much to me. So uh, it's just a joy. It's a high because it's taking me back to a time that's so dear to me. And every photograph represents a second of my life. So I find great delight in just going through them and just discovering new images. And what's so amazing, too, and it's, 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 it's bittersweet. I'm coming upon a lot of photographs that people are no longer here. So that makes that photograph that much more important right now. Or I might find a photograph of a location that has, has now changed. And with gentrification in Brooklyn, so much has changed over the past 20 years. Um, now looking at the structure of a lot of the photograph, it's amazing. Looking at the old trains from the 1980s and looking at the trains are today, you know, that gives greater value to my work. So it's always a great delight to just sit back now and just look at a lot of the old negatives to get a greater understanding of what it is I captured. And in this particular sequence.
0: Well, my, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why?
1: I would have to go back to the foundation, and that's uh, Linnet Freed, And it's in his book, Black and White America, that really allowed me to see you know, see and understand like never before. You know, he taught me composition. He taught me light. He taught me the importance of storytelling. And he gave me a history of America back in the 1960s that you wouldn't find really in the local media. So I would have to say Leonard Free 100 percent. That one particular book, once again, Black and White America changed my life to this very day.
0: And where can people go to find out more about you and everything that you do?
1: Well, I think the, the really best way, because I need to upgrade my, my, my website, is through my, my, my Facebook, uh, for lack of a better word, fan page. That page will really allow you to see so much of my work and the music that inspired me over, year, over the years, the photographers that have inspired me over the years, and different books that kind of like fed, into my, that fed my mind. So my Facebook page would be the really best way right now.
0: Well, brother, thank you so much. Uh, it was more than a pleasure to have the chance to finally sit down and talk with you.
1: And thank you so much for having an interest in my work. I'm truly honored with this opportunity. I hope that, uh, you know, my voice is clear and I commend you for all the great work that you're doing. You have a new uh, uh, fan because I find that what you do is so inspiring to me. I can't wait to get off the computer and go back to uh, YouTube and research (laughs) more your presentation because they are so full of life and it's helping me develop my voice at the same time now. So, again, I commend you for all the great work you're doing and, and I'm truly honored to have this exchange with you. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care now.
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50 or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at TheOtherMartinTaylor.com. And our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Iberian and X, and this is The Candid Frame.